The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank, the bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life, a bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify, a bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers, that is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off. People in Wellington can be a little bit strange. I know that because I used to live in Wellington where one of the most famous public features is a bunch of buckets with water (laughs) tumbling from one bucket to the next. The famous water fountain. Actually, it's the bucket fountain. The famous bucket fountain of Cuba Street. And it's for decades sloshed that water from one bucket to the next. In fact, when a couple of the buckets were stolen, it was front-page news in in Wellington. But Wellington's had plenty of water features it doesn't like in recent years. Huge geysers of water that spurted up um, on uh, Aro Road. All sorts of leaks all over the city. And increasingly, a problem with a hundred-year-old pipe system crumbling as we try to drink from it. And that means this week, level two water restrictions have been applied in Wellington, despite it being the second wettest year on record after the wettest year on record in 2022. All of the lakes, all of the storage centres are full. But even with that, there isn't enough water for Wellingtonians to do whatever they want. So the level two restrictions mean no irrigation uh, and uh, reducing the amount that they have to put onto their gardens. And there's a 75% chance the restrictions will get tougher towards the end of January and a 30% chance or so that people will actually have to reduce the length of their showers and uh, restrict their use inside the home to just 50 litres. This is weird. It's wrong. We are a rich country. We have plenty of water. You could argue too much water in the last couple of years. How is it we've got ourselves into this mess? This week on When the Facts Change, we look at the political economy problems around water investment with the CEO of the industry body, Water New Zealand. Gillian Blythe talks us through how we got into this mess and what we'd have to do to get ourselves out. Spoiler alert, it involves spending not just a few billion more, tens of billions more in the next couple of decades. Because not only do we have a problem with underinvestment in the last couple of decades and underinvestment for the population growth we've got, but also we've improved the standards for water quality and the coming problems of climate change are going to increase that cost enormously. And unfortunately, Politicians and voters have not grasped this nettle of a massive investment needed in our water infrastructure. Three Waters, of course, now a dead project, 
was the previous government's attempts, attempt to solve it. And the new government is going to have to come up with something which it hasn't really indicated yet. Meanwhile, places like Wellington, Queenstown, which just this week released 450,000 litres of sludge from its uh, sewage treatment plant into the Shotover Valley. Places like uh, Christchurch, where this, the water treatment plant uh, created so much of a stink so that basically an entire suburb was forced to live indoors. We have a water infrastructure investment crisis. And at the moment, as I say later in the podcast, no one is calling bullshit on how we're not dealing with all our bullshit. Not to mention the fatbergs. Sadly, people, there are fatbergs in this podcast. This week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora, and welcome to When the Facts Change to Gillian Blythe, the CEO of Water New Zealand. Um, Gillian, great to see you. Good to see you too. Kia ora. Now, we, we live in a rich country that's reasonably functional, why is it that we're having so many problems with our pipes and our water treatment plants at the moment? I think in, in a simple, um, you know, one sentence, we haven't invested enough for many decades. Do we have a sense of how much underinvestment there is? We've done analysis over the last sort of, you know, 10 years or so when we've done, Water New Zealand, that is, has done the National Performance Review. And if I look at some of the figures there, we've basically seen that many councils who are the providers of water, drinking water, wastewater and stormwater in New Zealand have not kept um, up with their investment. They haven't spent at least the equivalent of depreciation on their assets. Yeah, that's really interesting, Gillian, that... The councils did record depreciation numbers, and I remember from my accounting degree that the deal was you depreciated your asset, but at the same time you were supposed to invest in it so that effectively those numbers should be the same over the long run. But the Auditor General has done various measures showing that around 70 to 80% of the depreciation was only invested. So there was a gap there. Why would the councils do that? How would they get away with it? I think there's probably several reasons for what's been happening is that, you know, councils, like households and businesses, have got a number of competing demands. And I think often in the case of water infrastructure, and this is an issue that happens internationally, not just within New Zealand, you know, water assets all the pipes that are bringing the water, drinking water to your house and on the wastewater pipes that are taking away and even the stormwater is they're, they're pretty much invisible. They're out of sight, out of mind. And for many of these assets, they're long lived. And so you can imagine, have we all painted our house in the frequency to which we probably ought to, you know, that you put things off. And you keep saying, I can do that next year because I've got, I've got some other investment that I need to do, you know, either OPEX or CAPEX within a council that I, I'm deciding from a local perspective that I want to spend the money in a different way. And I suppose with the three-year electoral cycle for councils, councillors and mayors can go, yeah, well, I can choose to do this thing that might get me re-elected in a couple of months, or I can choose to do that thing, which will stop something bad from happening in nine years, and I'll go for the short-term thing. And, and I think also that depending on the numbers that we're all looking at, if we look at the level of um, of investment, 
given the growth of some of our communities, you can say, I have spent X, which sounds like a lot of money on water, but actually it might have been X that's been spent, you know, significantly on growth, you know, on new subdivisions and providing those those services. And so I think it's that whole mixture of being able to say, what did you do on renewals and what are you doing on growth? And what are you doing to improve the levels of service such that, you know, what we are what's what we're all receiving or enjoying in the water environment is a is something that we want to in twenty twenty three as opposed to what we thought might have been acceptable in nineteen eighty. I used to live in Wellington, um, where a lot of pipes were laid down um, from the start of the 20th century, and a lot of the piping networks throughout the region were put in in the 40s, 50s, 60s, when the baby boomers were being born. A lot of those families were created immediately after the Second World War. There was a lot of investment by the central government and administered and done by the Ministry of Works and various councils and water authorities where there, there wasn't quite the same, uh, uh, A, low tax rates, but also intense focus on reducing costs and essentially focusing on the here and now rather than investing for decades to come for all these kids that were being born right now. It means, though, that pipe networks that were laid down in the uh, 1910s, 1920s and and through the 40s, 50s and 60s, if they have a 50 to 100-year lifespan, the, the clock is ticking. And uh, do we have a sense of how much of the water networks are, you know, just at that point where they all start to crumble at the same time? Well, I think it was there was a really interesting piece of information that Tonya Hoskell from Wellington Water um, was saying this morning when she was saying that I think they are replacing pipes at about 26 kilometres per year at the moment. Ultimately, they want to be able to and they need to be replacing more like 100 kilometres. Now, I think I've heard similar figures for water care in Auckland. So we are in terms of being able to get on top of what we need to do so that we don't see all those leaks as you walk down Lampton Quay or you walk down Queen Street, you know, is we've got to get on top of that renewals. And it can't be that we just fix the one leak because patching, you know, you're likely to see another leak further down that same pipe because it's the same age, you know, a few weeks or a few months later. And so we've got to be able to get on top of that renewals, that hump that we haven't been on top of for decades. So we've skimped for a couple of decades and we've had very strong population growth, uh, upwards of one and a half to two percent in the last 20 to 30 years, when maybe we probably expected and planned for, you know, half a percent less than that. So we've we've got ourselves in a position now where we're well behind. <laughs> we're going to have to do a lot more to catch up. How are we going to pay for all this? Uh, and, you know, what are the challenges for councils and governments and ratepayers slash voters in trying to solve this problem? I think one of the challenges is, you know, how do we manage in terms of, at the moment, in Wellington, I don't have a water bill, nothing that comes explicitly. I have to dig into my rates bill to see that I get charged for, for water. And if I happen to open the, the right document, I might see, I think the last time I did this for Wellington, it was about 35 cents in the dollar was something that was going on water. 
That's the only visibility I have of my water um, bill. There's nothing about my consumption. Now, if you're sitting in Auckland or you're sitting in, in, in a few other places in the country, you actually have a water meter and you get information about what you're consuming. Now, certainly in terms of, you know, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your electricity bill or your gas bill or your, um, your data in terms of your fiber, all of those sorts of things, you get information, then you can, then you can act and you can make some decisions. And when we start doing that, we see significant differences. So if I look at um, uh, some of this is going to be average information. So roughly about 280 liters per person per day is what you see from most of the country on average. If you're with a meter in Auckland, it's more like 140. So how, how did those people in Auckland in water care who have meters, how, how, how come they're consuming, you know, 100 litres less a day? What did they actually do to stop that? I think some of it is you suddenly become far more aware of any leaks on your own property. You know, that dripping tap when you go, there's a few droplets, let's not worry about that. But all of that adds up. But it's also things like I'm being more efficient. You know, am I thinking about my, my washing machine loads? Are they, are they half loads? Are they full loads? You know, what am I doing in terms of irrigating my garden? You know, do I have a, 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 a roof tank, you know, that, that um, captures the, the, the runoff and then you're using that in your garden? You know, all of those sorts of things go into people's decision making. And I guess we probably shouldn't forget the, you know, the three or the four minute shower in terms of, you know, actually having that conversation. And certainly if I think about it, I'm sure there are many of us with teenagers when you go, you know, maybe it's somebody else's turn in that bathroom. Yes, what we need is a meter on the teenagers, um, says a 57-year-old <laughs> man. Uh, 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 could, you, um, could you give us a sense, though, uh, 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 how much that what you call demand management, where people start to reduce their consumption, how much that reduces the future bills for having to beef up the network and repair it and extend it? How much capital is saved because you're reducing demand at the front end? I'm not sure I can give you the you know a, a dollar figure, but it, all of it contributes. I mean, if you think about it in the in the context of Wellington at the moment, we've just gone in today. You know, we're recording this on Wednesday into level two water restrictions. And some people might say we've had a great summer or we haven't had a great summer. You know, we'll all have different perspectives. But we know that there is a serious um, um, high level of leaks in the Wellington region, depending on which, which particular council you're in. It can be sort of 45%. Now, that's a lot of water that's leaking between the, the source, the treatment plant, and my tap. Now, some of that is leaking on, you know, not necessarily on my property. I hope it's not on my property, but I'm not, certainly not aware of it. But on, on private property, which can be commercial businesses or can be domestic homes, as well as obviously in the network itself. Now, all of those things, if we don't fix those, those leaks on the network and if we don't manage consumption in our homes and our commercial businesses, we will ultimately need to think about new water sources. We'll have to take more from aquifers. We'll have to take more from the rivers. We'll have to, um, you know, we'll have to treat it. So all of those things impact impact what what it costs to provide us with water. When the facts change is brought to you in partnership with Kiwi Bank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy, and that's what their team of experts is here to do too. 
Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on the current grim status of the global and local economy. Globally, economic output and activity is slowing. Higher interest rates are weighing heavily on demand and crushing activity. It's not pretty, but it's what's needed to bring down inflation. Here in Aotearoa, the outlook is soft at best. Our impressive surge in net migration helps lift activity, but still the economy is weakening under the weight of the Reserve Bank and a softening global backdrop. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. So um, we know that water meters and demand management are a good thing. So it seems a no-brainer to me. Uh, I understand Auckland uh, has water meters and water care is the provider there. And that was, in a way, forced through by the creation of the super city way back in 2011 by the previous national government. Uh, And uh, Tauranga uh, have water meters, I understand, and Kapiti, when Kapiti Council has water meters. But it seems a no-brainer for every council in the country to start putting water meters in and start charging people per litre of consumption. Why hasn't that happened? I think a lot of it is council or concern about what will happen at the next election because there is that, you know, every now and again, you know, someone, you'll talk to someone and they'll say, but, you know, you put water meters in, that's the first step towards privatisation, you know, or or they're worried that, their consumption, their bills will increase dramatically versus somebody else. And so some of this is around how do we manage that? And I mean, there are now there are meters in Christchurch and they are beginning to um, charge, I think they've been charging, maybe it's for the last year, charging um, and it you, you get a, um, a higher, higher bill. I don't remember the, the precise details, but if it's around your volume is above a certain amount, then you get either a warning or you get charged on the basis of of that high volume, you know, so that you can change your behaviour. So that's on the demand side. It sounds like a, a political issue there. And then on the supply side, um, the billions that are needed and there's various measures. The Infrastructure Commission has said there is an infrastructure deficit of upwards of $100 billion, but that includes things like roads and railways. Uh, we've heard that uh, in the Three Waters reform process, uh, the amount of money that would have to be invested in the next few decades would be upwards of $20, $30 billion. And that's with relatively slow population growth. If we continue to see 100,000 net migrants um, come in every year, uh, that number's going to be small. So um, we've actually had a sort of a debate quietly behind the scenes, um, obscured by other things, uh, co-governance, in which Three Waters was the previous Labor government's uh, effectively a solution on a plate for all of the councils, whereby their water assets would be pulled away into different entities, which would be, in theory, owned by the councils, 
but um, separate it from the day-to-day politics um, because uh, the decision-makers were at arm's length. And the idea was that with these separate assets, those new entities would be able to borrow money from the private sector and uh, this would uh, somehow magically not be counted as public debt or council debt in the uh, normal credit ratings that that people have. This was obviously uh, blocked by the incoming government and there was a debate about it. Uh, but uh, now that Three Waters seems to be dead, uh, what are the options for the government and the councils to come up with these 20, 30, 40, um, name pick your number, needed over the next 20 to 30 years? Well, I think there's probably a couple of pieces. Certainly this government is saying that they're going to be repealing in the next couple of weeks the Three Waters legislation. Now, there is a a number of pieces of legislation that that involves, both in terms of the economic regulator that would be the Commerce Commission, um, as well as the legislation that would set up the 10 entities that the former government was keen to do. Now, the statements that have come from um, Minister Brown Um, indicate that they will be proceeding with their local water done well policy, which ultimately still has the the water um, services regulator being Tamata Arawai, um, that would still be um, regulating in terms of drinking water and um, and ensuring um, appropriate oversight um, of wastewater and stormwater and setting various standards. So that's, that's an important piece. They also talk about that there will be a water infrastructure regulator that will be within the Commerce Commission and that that would be looking at pricing and it would be looking at asset management plans and it would be making, making sure that um, things were fair um, in, and in terms of both what's being invested and in terms of the charging regimes. So I get that, that the government is going to make sure that um, uh, whoever owns these assets, whichever council does its thing, does it fairly and doesn't um, rot the consumer, if you like. But that still leaves the whole issue of where's the 30 to $40 billion going to come from up in the air. And uh, I'm struggling uh, to to see uh, who's going to put their hand up and say, yep, I'll take responsibility for that. I'll put up taxes or fees or charges or I'll increase the debt, which might, along the process, increase people's mortgage rates. I'm struggling to see how the various plans overcome the magical thinking, which is um, we can have it all, but we don't have to pay for it. Well, I think some of it is... You know, and it's there in terms of how the National Party has presented their their policy is to say that the councils need to be able to show that it's that they are financially sustainable, that they're appropriately ring fencing um, investment that's required for water. And if you can't do that, the implication within their policy is that councils will get together with, you know, let's assume their neighbours. Um, and will form regional council-controlled organisations. And that that comes with it the opportunity to um, share share services, share staff, um, to be able to achieve some of the economies of scale. And ultimately, um, and I think this is something that we all need to acknowledge, that whatever the, the sum of, of however many millions or billions that we're talking about for that region is being divided by a bigger population base. Yeah, we can do some things with demand management, we can do some things with economies of scale, but ultimately, 
at some point, there has to be an actual increase in the financial commitment over the long run, not just in terms of the assets, but also the the maintenance and the sheer costs as a percentage of GDP to to do this. Because it's clear that over the last 20 or 30 years, we have systematically underinvested and underserviced in that infrastructure. We've had uh, governments and councils that have been reformed since the late 80s with the uh, specific aim of keeping the size of government small around about 30% of GDP. And that's very different from the 40, 50, 60% of GDP we'd seen in the previous three decades when a lot of those water networks were built. Do you think there's a realisation amongst councils, the government, voters that there's actually going to have to be an increase in the amount that is paid in taxes and charges and fees and and higher debt, the implications of that for interest rates, an actual increase in the share that has to go to this infrastructure? I think it is beginning to dawn on people. Now, I'm not saying that everybody understands that. And some of this goes to what do we expect in 2023? If I said to you, how many beaches were open following rain events in Auckland over the summer. I know certainly in terms of conversations with with friends that some of them weren't, you know, and they were closed because it was a public health issue. Now, all of us, you know, particularly when it's sunny, want to go out and enjoy our environment and want to go out and enjoy the water environment. And so you start saying, okay, the cost of us being able to, to do that is going to be more than perhaps we were planning to spend. Now, when we start doing those trade-offs, then I think we start to understand that we will need to be spending more, and that might actually hit you and I in our pockets, and we might need to think about how we are, you know, what are we doing in terms of our wastewater? You know, how many people are only putting pee, poo, and paper down the toilet? You know, the number of blockages that occur in the wastewater network are sizable. And every time we have one of those blockages, whether it's rags, you know, false teeth, you know, jewelry, phones, you know, cuddly toys, God knows what's, you know, turned up in, in many of our wastewater treatment plants or have caused blockages in the network, you know, all of those things cost. So we've got to be more responsible whether it's drinking water or our wastewater, you know, in terms of what we're doing, you know, and then, you know, similar issues in terms of stormwater. So there's a conversation, if you like, a debate that has to be had, and it's an ugly debate. I mean, you've conjured up the the vision, and unfortunately it's in my head now, of a fatberg. (laughs) Of a fatberg, and we haven't Mm. had the word fatberg on when the facts change yet in three years of podcasting. But there it is. It's an ugly conversation, not just about fatbergs, but about higher spending on a thing we can't see that is going to um, benefit not us directly and not right now. It's going to be decades into the future. And it may well be um, others who benefit, not just other people, but, you know, other animals, other bodies of water, those sorts of things. And I'm I'm struggling to see where someone is going to put their hand up to have that ugly conversation because my experience is in a political economy sense, politicians don't like to do that. Sometimes you need some sort of independent authority, some sort of commissioner, some sort of uh, person who isn't uh, uh, hijacked or hostage to the electoral cycle. Do you think there's anyone like that in a position to call bullshit on the bullshit? 
Well, I think when we start having conversations about the level of service that you and I expect, that's when you start having that and you start, you know, the Commerce Commission having that role, um, whether it's called the water infrastructure regulator, but, you know, the economic regulator will be having that role and saying, your level of service we've agreed as a community will be X. You're not achieving X. And and if you're going to achieve it, you need to have spent all of the, you know, let's just pick those figures that I mentioned earlier. You know, you need to be doing 100 kilometers of, of pipe renewals a year rather than roughly the 26. You know, all of those sorts of things, you need to be doing that. And it's like, how are you going to do that with, without changing the, the cost to you and me? You know, and the answer will be, we need to, you know, we need to find another financial solution. Either the price is going to have to go up or we're going to have to borrow um, over over a longer time frames. And we're going to have to, I mean, I think that's, these are long-lived assets and we need to make sure that the arrangements that we've got for funding them reflect that. Just finally, uh, Gillian, um, one of the things that has changed over the last 20 to 30 years, apart from the way governments are funded, how much they're putting aside, how much they're investing, is the population growth. Back in the 80s and 90s, the planners, the infrastructure developers all thought we had a pretty stable ageing population that wasn't going to grow much. Um, We weren't very popular, we thought, and uh, we therefore didn't need to invest in expanding our network too much. But um, through very high net migration rates, particularly over the last 20 years, we've grown 1.5% to 2%, when maybe at best we were thinking 0 to 0.5%. Is there a role here for some sort of uh, broader and more politically agreed bipartisan view on what our population growth is going to be? I might sidestep the question a little bit. I think getting bipartisan um, agreement on things like water is vital. And I think being able to achieve probably something similar in terms of population growth will be important because all of that will be impacting, not just water, it'll be impacting schools, hospitals, everything. And and so we we need to get some sort of agreement such that we don't have changes with with political, you know, with political change. Um, I get one of the things that we haven't talked about, but I think we need to remember in terms of those figures that that, we, that you've mentioned in terms of the billions that need to be invested over the next few decades is that most of those figures don't include climate change or don't take account of climate change. And climate change has got a manifests itself in the water sector in multiple ways. You know, we've seen it in terms of both the too much last year in terms of Cyclone Gabriel, Cyclone Hail, all of those events and the dramatic impact that had on the different communities and the needing to think about how do we protect um, and how do we manage when we have that too much. But it also impacts in terms of when we don't have enough. And so the water restrictions that we're beginning to see in Wellington and the Wairapa in Queenstown and other parts of the country, you know, some of that will be because the rainfall is, is, is different. It's changed. But it's also manifesting itself in the sense of we're seeing more toxic algae. You know, our rivers, the temperatures of our rivers and our lakes are different to what they were. Now, some of that will be impacting and we'll, we'll be seeing algae growth. What you also start to see, and some of this will be over time, is that I always think about it in the sense of, you know, in a drinking water treatment plant, you want to kill the bugs. 
in a wastewater treatment plant, you want to grow the bugs because the bugs do the good work in terms of managing and treating the wastewater. Now, as temperatures change, there will be impacts on the bugs that are doing the good work. There'll be impacts on um, you know, our wetlands that we want to be managing some of our stormwater, all of those sorts of things. Or we'll be seeing sea level rise and we'll see uh, water coming back up the, the pipes, you know, and we'll see, you know, saltwater intrusion into our aquifers. All of those sorts of things are, are going to impact ultimately that bill that we've got for water infrastructure. So we've got to get on top of the infrastructure deficit but we've also got to do the clever planning now so it's that's not just replacing what we've currently got but what do we need such that we are resilient over the decades that are coming another um uh, slightly scary and frustrating word there clever planning involving local government politicians and voters um as well as the fatberg thing Gillian Blythe the CEO of Water New Zealand thank you very much for being on when the facts change namely nearly thank you When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.